I'm in my second marriage and I'm 40. And the marriage I'm in right now, we're more friends than we are husband and wife because of my relationship with men that I got early on saw at four years old. And so that makes it hard for me to be subservient to my husband, to any man. Right. Because I feel like men have dogged me my whole life. This is a trigger alert. This episode contains sexually explicit language and may be a trigger for those who have dealt with sexual trauma or know someone who has experienced a sexual trauma. Listener discretion is advised. In this installment of I've Got a Story to Tell on Beyond the Coffee Table, the podcast, I dive deep with T. Pearson and we discuss her being a victim and ultimately a survivor of sexual trauma, including rape and molestation as a toddler, a teen, and even an adult. As you heard, this is a trigger alert and can be a trigger alert for many. So if that is you, I do not want you to be triggered by your trauma. So I would advise that you would end this podcast recording now. If you are someone who has experienced trauma and have yet to seek help for your trauma. Within the description of this episode, there is a link that will take you directly to the website where you can get help as well as a number of resources to include a phone number to the sexual assault hotline. I encourage you to use that. And this episode was recorded for healing, recorded to be therapeutic. So if you need healing or therapy, this episode could absolutely help you get there. Here's the episode. What's going on beyond the coffee table listeners? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Beyond the Coffee Table, the podcast with your gracious host, myself, Terry Glenn Harris. I'm grateful for each and every one of you coming back, tuning in and ready for the next phase of um, this episode. So, Back in December, I told you all that we were going to go on a journey uh, together and also with some other people who would come on through the series, I've Got a Story to Tell. So last time we heard from Mallory Rawls, and she told us her story of how she survived stomach cancer. And y'all are still listening to that one, and I'm so grateful that people are hearing it and they're getting what they need from it. Um, and we continue that journey today with our next guest who's coming on to tell her story. And it's a story of healing after a sexual trauma. She is the vice president of communications for a great community called Coco Bump. She is one half of the hosted podcast, Candid Combos. She is the founder of Love advocates and all of that information for her will be in the description of this episode. So I definitely want you to check that out, check her out, see what she's got going on. She's got some great stuff. When you hear her come on, you're going to hear um, a unique accent 
the accent from, I'm going to say how they say it, Baltimore. Um, and, you know, you're going to hear her when she starts talking. But she's such a cool person. I got the chance to meet her um, through, you know, something that my wife was doing with the Cocoa Bump community and, you know, uh, my goddaughter's mom, you know, some stuff that they were doing together. And it was just from the beginning, just an organic relationship that I thank God that I was able to be a part of. I am now going to introduce to everybody the, again, VP, Vice President of Communications for Cocoa Bump, the one half of the hosted podcast, Candid Convos, the founder of Love Advocates, LLC, all the way from Baltimore, Maryland, where they make the mamba sauce, T. Pearson, y'all. Hey, hey, hey. How are you? Per, you wrong about that accent, but I, I, I'm going to um, let you see, go ahead and take it, you know. See, the first bottom. time you was on, I got your name wrong. Now I got the accent wrong. I, I, I'm and Mumbo Sauce is from D.C., not Baltimore. You trying to start a fight. Oh, you my bad. Yeah, you trying to start a fight. It's a Mumbo see, I ain't trying to do that. Now, let me clear it up for you. So okay. D.C. got the Mumbo Sauce. Baltimore sells it, but it was originated in D.C. Oh, got yeah. you. Okay. Mm-hmm. See, I just was given some false information, which now lets me know I need to further dive deep <laughs> when I'm giving some information about it. That's okay. I'm going to have to let you taste some. I'm going to bring some wings up there for you and, and your wifey so they, y'all can have some real DC carryout wings with mumble sauce. Oh, yes. I would yes. love that. Ooh, not a problem. Brother, brother loves some wings. I yeah, know, yeah, not uh, a problem. Not a problem. <laughs> but thank you for taking time out of your busy day. Uh, just to sit down and have this conversation, a conversation that is not even, you know, just about tea, but about somebody who might be listening, mm-hmm. who might be going through some things, who might have recently gone through some things, or who might have gone through some things a decade ago and have never, you know, looked into what it looks like to begin healing from that trauma that they might have gone through. Mm-hmm. Um I always say that any abuse in any form is a tragedy. It does something to a person that they may never heal from if they don't begin to seek the help. However, when it comes to sexual abuse, I personally believe that that is that that is among the most heinous of crimes and things that somebody could go through. And unfortunately, far too many people experience rape and molestation on a daily basis. And I also just wanted somebody to know that I don't care if it's your husband, your wife, uh, a parent, a sibling, Mm -hmm. anyone can be a victim and anybody can be a predator. predator. Mm -hmm. Like if you don't say yes, if you're too intoxicated to say yes, Mm -hmm. if you say no and the act continues, that's rape, that's abuse. And, you know, we're going to talk about what you need to do, um, who you need to tell, who you need to call, you know, what what you should do to get that help. Um, so that is what we're going to talk about in this episode as we continue to I've Got a Story to Tell series. And again, we got my sister T. Pearson on and we're just going to get straight into it. I got some questions. She's going to share T at any point in time. Um, you can stop me interrupt me. This is your story. I'm grateful that you're here telling your story. But the first thing that we're going to do is just tell us about that experience when you were merely a a, a baby, um, when, you know, someone violated you. Okay. 
and and before I even start, I want to um, just con- you know applaud you, Terry, on just having this platform and you know kept bringing these conversations to the forefront uh, for the nation to hear. Because um, unfortunately, like you said, there are a lot of us that fit into this category of statistics, um, and some of us were able to tell our story to you know law enforcement and go through with the conviction, and some of us weren't able to talk to law enforcement for all different reasons, and some people were re-victimized within that legal process. And so mm-hmm. they has vowed to never tell again. Um, and so this statistic group encompasses a lot of different um, things, but I applaud you for even just having this series so that other folks can know that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, the other piece I wanna talk about before I even answer your question is you know, to kind of reaffirm your trigger warning um, and to let folks know that some things that I'm going to say is gonna be raw and uncut, Um, And unfortunately, that's just the hand that God gave me to live through. Um, But I also know that some folks can get re-victimized by hearing a story from someone who may be similar to theirs. Mm -hmm. And so, as Terry said before, like, you know, maybe you don't want to listen to this right now. Maybe you want to call the hotline that's in the bio and, you know, talk to somebody. Maybe you want to call your prayer partner and pray about it um, and then kind of come back and listen at whatever point and whatever intervals you're able to. Um, but I do want to um, allow you guys that access to be able to just go ahead and sign off. As Terry said before, um, mm-hmm. I'm in social services, been doing it for 20 years. And so I understand the importance of people being able to make their own decisions on whether they move forward um, when they are given all of the information up front. So, mm-hmm. um, okay. So now with that being said. <laughs> no, but um, I'm glad you did say that. That, that was important um, to absolutely say, because some of it, you know, when you were talking about the trigger warnings and things like that, mm-hmm. I didn't even think about to say that. So I'm glad that you did, you know, put that out there. Oh yeah. Not a problem. Listen, that's why we're here together. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I guess let's back up. So, so I started to be molested when I was four years old. Um, and it occurred from the ages of four to seven. Um, I say seven, but my mom actually says I was like five or six. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a true form of victimization, things kind of get blocked out and move around in segments. And even as I tell most of this today, this is the first time that I'll be saying a lot of the story and a lot of my path um, all in one time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I may jump all over the place, so forgive me. Um, but I'm 40 going back, you know, four decades to, <laughs> to figure out uh, kind of what happened. But mm-hmm. um, so the person that I was being molested by, his name was Paul. Um, and I'll say was, because I'm going to tell you what about Paul in a second. Um, but he was a friend of the family, but also kind of like a cousin. Um, his sister was dating my uncle, um, and you know, they had a child. And so it was kind of like that whole black community mix Mm -hmm. thing. Right. Um, and so he was kind of like my babysitter for some parts because my mom was a drug addict and my mom would be in her room. Uh, which was like the room next to where I would be with Paul, um, you know, with her drug buddies doing, you know, her stuff. And my grandmother, um, her mom at the time would be at work and stuff like that. So Paul began to like be my babysitter. Um, And he was the person who introduced me to a game called House. Um, And he played the dad, I played the mom. Um, And in that game, you know, the dog, my dog baby was our child. And, you know, what child don't want to play a game, right? 
um, especially when he's telling you that this is a game that all daughters play with men. Um, and this is a game that he's going to teach me to be good at so that when my dad got out of jail, I can play it with him. And when I go over to my other grandparents' house, I can play this game with my granddad. But they wasn't going to play it until I was prepared. And he was going to prepare me for this game. Um, and we started to play and it started off, you know, kind of with some fondling and with some touching and some, you know, it was very much now that I know as an adult, right, the mm -hmm. grooming process. Um, and he was getting me to trust him more. He was getting me to believe that what he was telling me was the truth. And it could be, you know, an easy reward, like, you know, he'll bring me, he'll sneak me in a piece of candy mm. or he'll sneak me in something that I wasn't supposed to have. And so he became my buddy, right. you know, and I didn't have to call him Mr. I didn't have to call him uncle. You know, I was able to say Paul and, you know, any child, no, it's not that, you know, mm -hmm. it's a Mr. or a Miss in front right. of, you know, and so to be able to say, I don't have to call him Mr. or uncle, um, made me feel, you know, like a big girl. Um, and so he was reaffirming that I was a big girl mm -hmm. um, by the different things that he was doing to me and making me do to him. Um, and then the outside fondling began to be penetration. Um, and he penetrated me when I was seven. Um, and at that time, I began to bleed and I went, oh, I went out the room and I went next, next to the next room. And I knocked on the door because my mom was in there and she opened the door. And I remember telling her that I'm bleeding. And she was like, oh, OK. And I was like, you know, Paul stuck his thing inside of me and I'm bleeding. And she was like, oh, you'll be OK. And she closed the door in my face. And so who was there to help clean me up? Paul. Um, and so he became my rescuer. You know, at that point, he was my husband because we played house all the time. Um, but he also was, you know, my caretaker for the lack of better words, because if folks knew what it was like to grow up with a, you know, drug addicted parent, anybody else that you can talk to became a friend, right. um, because, you know, your parents were doing what they was doing. Um, and so even though within those years, I was going back and forth to my dad's parents' house for visitation, I never told. Um, because Paul made me believe that I wasn't supposed to tell because I actually was doing really bad at learning my role in this game and that everybody would punish me if they knew that I wasn't doing right. And if I knew they knew that I was failing in my role as he was preparing me to be, you know, his wife, right. um, for the, for the lack of better words, for my dad and for my granddad and for in, whatever men came to my life. Like I was groomed that that's what was supposed to happen. Mm. Um, so, yeah, once I was seven, my grandparents um, actually got custody of me, my dad's parents. Um, and so me going back over to my mom's became more of an option. And so that option, I didn't want to do it. Right. Um, and that was without telling anybody else. I never told anybody about what happened to me until years later, mm -hmm. because at that moment, I felt like I had told my mom, but the person that you're taught in school is your protector. You know, you're taught this very early on because you celebrate Mother's Day, even in pre-K, mm -hmm. you know, and we're making the things, the hand prints for mom and, right. the, you know, and the, the crown and all of that stuff for dad for Father's Day. And so my dad was incarcerated most of my life. He was in and out of jail until he was murdered later on um, when I was 13. Um, well, I was 12. Um, and 
So my granddad became that stand-in dad for me. And I felt like, you know, I wasn't supposed to say nothing. Mm -hmm. Because when I did say something or whenever I wanted to say something, Paul would give me a consequence. And that consequence was me having oral sex with him and him ejaculating in my mouth. And I didn't like that taste, even as a child. And so I didn't want to have those consequences. So he was he basically told me to not say anything. Because when my mom closed the door and told me I was going to be okay, that's what I believe. Mm, wow. And to be so, so young and have to endure that, it, 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 it was already starting the process of teardown before you even built up. Um, right. especially it coming from someone who you were supposed to know and trust and right you know being left with right. um who was supposed to care for you instead of harm you right so but that not, became not, an image of care for me though right 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 kind of like um for those who deal with stockholm syndrome correct you know correct. they believe that their caretaker although they are hurting them constantly mm-hmm. this is what love and care look like and they can't go anywhere else mm-hmm. um, because no one else will love and care for them right quote, unquote, like that. right exactly yep. mm-hmm. so not only was your innocence stolen from you you've been violated by rape on a number of occasions um and with it starting at such a young age in your life and then going you know numerous times throughout your life how do you feel that changed the trajectory of your life? Like from where maybe, cause you know, sometime in our mind we say, oh man, I, if this never happened, maybe I'd be here and maybe mm. I'd be doing this or maybe I'd be doing that. So mm. do you ever feel and you know, that things for you could have been better or worse or, you know, anything in between had that not happened to you? Ooh. Um, that's a real question, Terry. <laughs> um, hmm. So I, I guess I'll back up to the first part when you uh, mentioned my multiple assaults. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, yes. Unfortunately, I have been able to check pretty much every characteristic of rape possible, um, from date rape to you know full on rape, um, and. Each time I question God of like, why me? Right. And it's like, okay, like, is this my cross to bear? You know, am am, am I marching, holding this cross, but why? Mm -hmm. You know, and why am I being penalized? Why am I being punished for things that I had no control over? Um, And all of all of those things, I think. Yeah, it definitely changed me and changed my paths and my mindsets and my beliefs. Um, And it also made me feel like, wow, Paul was right. Wow. Because that's what he was telling me that what my role was, right? And so it would get to the point where it was like, damn, you don't have to take it. I can just give it to you. Mm. You don't have to take it. You don't have to hold a knife to my throat and take it. You don't have to drug me and take it. You don't have to force me and take it because I would have gave it because I was trained to do that. And so when I was raped, it was kind of like, damn, I'm being punished. Because that's what Paul told me what happened. Mm -hmm. 
Sorry. No, no. So, and sorry, don't don't edit any of this. Okay. All right. <laughs> leave leave this there for me, please. Um, because people need to know that this was my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and they need to get it raw and uncut. Right. So, if you could do that for me, absolutely, absolutely. Um. So I felt like I was being punished. And like that was God's way of punishing me for something. Because Paul said, when I didn't follow the rules, I would be punished. And his punishment mirrored a lot of my rapes. The things that people were doing to me mirrored a lot of what he said would happen. So it became a belief for me. And so that turned me the opposite way. So I became a sex addict. And I began to believe that, you know, you don't have to take it. I'll give it. I'd much rather give it than you take it because I have a little more control. Um, and it was one of those things that I believed that I had control in that area, right? Because I had learned so early on what I was supposed to do, what men like to be done to them. You know, how am I supposed to act? All of those things I was groomed for at four. And so it became nothing for me to mimic those things growing up from early on, right? Because I was introduced to sex at four. So my body began to crave it. My mind began to think about it. And the only thing that I could think to do was to satisfy it. And that was through sex. That was through sex with people that I really didn't have a connection to, people that didn't have a connection to me, um, but I didn't understand the, um, the saying of like, you know, when you lay down with somebody, you exchange energy, you exchange, right, you know, spirit. not just your spirit and, and all of that stuff. And so it's like when you move, you grab it. Right. And so I didn't even connect any of that, though, until I began to study forensics. And, you know, one of the things is like when anyone goes into a place, you leave something behind. Right, which is why the techs come in and do fingerprints and they do footprints and they got the, the spray for the wall because uh, you leave something behind. Right. And so for me, I was able to relate that to my sex life, that every time I lay down, I left something behind and I began to leave so much behind that I got empty. Mm. I got empty. And so once I was empty, now it's like I have no purpose. Right. Because I'm tired of being abused. I'm tired of, you know, my dad being in and out of jail. I'm tired of my mom choosing drugs over me. I'm tired of, you know, my grandparents suffering and struggling because they didn't plan to raise their grandchild. And here I am. And I was the oldest. I'm the oldest grandchild. And so, like, you know, they didn't really get a chance to be grandparents. They was my parents. Mm -hmm. You know, the court gave me custody and my mom never even showed up for court. Wow. So automatically signing off her, yeah. her right. Yeah. And so, you know, I think about that when you ask me, has it changed my life? And I'm like, I have to think now, like, yeah, I think it did. Because had I stayed with her, I don't know where I would have been mm -hmm. at this moment. Um, had she showed up to court, things could have turned out differently. Um, but my grandparents took me in and they loved me and they groomed me and they raised me, um, not as just their grandchild, but their child. Mm. and they were instilling me that that's still my mom they wouldn't allow me to talk bad about my mom in front of them they was like that's still your mom you know and then it goes to the scripture like honor thy mother and thy father and right. even though I'm like but y'all my mom and my dad 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah, know, you're I raising you me and the law gave you custody. You're my mom and my dad. Right. Mm. But they never allow me to not still have some kind of love and respect for her. Okay. And that played a part in my life later on when me and her had, you know, some come to Jesus type conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that um, had, you know, I went with her, things would have been different. I think that had Paul not introduced me to sex so early on in life, things would have been different. Um, and I felt like he put a target for me. It's kind of like when people say, um, I don't know how I keep attracting these same kind of people in my life. Right. Um, you know, I just keep getting these dudes that don't do this and don't do that. And it's like, well, you got a pick me sign on your forehead. And so even folks that get into domestic violence situations, we know from statistics that sometimes they jump from one DV relationship to the next because mm-hmm. it's a process. Right. And so the same thing goes for sexual assault. The same thing goes for it because even though you feel, even though, you know, reality is you don't control it. Right. Mm-hmm. But in your head as a victim, you re-victimize yourself over and over and over again, because it's like, damn, had I just did this, then maybe I wouldn't have got this consequence. Or, you know, if I would have not been playing high and go seek behind the bushes, maybe I wouldn't have got grabbed up at knife point. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but as a child, you, you play high and go seek. You don't right. expect somebody to come with a knife and three of them tell you and your cousin to, to, to come on and you got to watch each other get raped. That's hard. Right. And, but that made me feel like, why am I being punished? Once again, like, God, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. I'm just because playing. at that time I was in church six out of seven days. I was in small group. I was in the choir. I was in the junior ushers. I was in small group. I was with church people all the time. Mm-hmm. because that's what I felt like I was supposed to do. And that's what my grandparents was instilling into me. Right. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, I'm still getting raped. So what is going on? Right. You know, and it's like, why? Mm-hmm. And I never understood. Each one was like, oh, but you know, God got a calling for you. And, you know, this is a purpose. Everything happens for a reason. And, you know, people, that's what we hear. Right. That's what we hear and that's what people tell us. But it's different when you are trying to hear it yourself and you're trying to tell yourself that. Mm -hmm. Because in that moment, it don't feel good. It don't feel like God got your back. It don't feel like, you know, you're doing everything that you're supposed to do in this path for your your life. Mm -hmm. Right? Because I was doing social service stuff. I was getting up at three, four o'clock in the morning going with the FBI and stuff to rescue kids that's been trafficked. But wow. I still was, I still got raped, even in that process, a date mm-hmm. rape, drug date rape that ended with me being pregnant, that ended with me having a decision of whether or not I was going to keep this baby or not. And God took that decision away from me and I had a miscarriage. And so then at some point I'm like, well, that was a reward for me because I knew that I wouldn't have been able to love that child the way that that child would have deserved to love because it wasn't a child that I voluntarily wanted to have. Hmm. Yeah. And then, and he, no, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you, you go, you finish. Um, and so I think things would have been different. <laughs> that was my long way around saying that I, I do believe things would have been different had my stuff not started at four. Right. Wow. 
And people, um, you know, I've heard the term, especially growing up in church, you don't question God. And growing up, I'm so happy that we have, um, you know, that he allows us to make our own decisions because it's like, don't, don't question. It's kind of like, you know, you tell your kid, you don't, you don't question, you know, grownups, but mm-hmm. we're teaching our kids, right. <laughs> but we're teaching our kids. No, if you have a question, mm-hmm. you ask that question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I believe it's the same thing with God. Like I, I never saw anywhere in the Bible where it says, don't question me. I didn't mm-hmm. see that part unless mm-hmm. they made, maybe that's the piece they cut out and threw in somebody's ocean. I think but, that's the part the elders threw in it itself. Yeah. I mean, just continue down the line. Right. Because if you don't ask the question, you'll never get the answer. Right. Um, and earlier on, you were saying how you began, especially being introduced to sex at baby stage, you began to crave it. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, you know, little girls who, you know, begin to grow up and come into, you know, themselves and be preteens and teenagers mm-hmm. who have a a strong sexual drive mm-hmm. they get labeled as hmm. fast tail mm-hmm. or you know Fresh. the fast little girl there mm-hmm. and no one ever asked the question of well how did mm-hmm. how did that mm-hmm. come about you mm-hmm. know um were you ever marked as being fast or labeled as you know being fresh um that's a good question probably within my peer group not necessarily okay. from the adults because, you know, I would sneak and do my stuff, right? Um, like, you know, we were supposed to be at gospel skate, but like I was at the go-go for real, you know? And so it was like, I was, I was, I began to, my, it was my grandparents, you know, okay. they wasn't right. going to like drive around town to check to see where I was and all of that stuff because a trust was there, right? Mm-hmm. And especially when I'm with other people that they know, um, which is my crew now, like we've been friends almost 30 something years most of us and like a, a strong group of five at least mm-hmm. um and but that's the same group that looked behind the church for me when they thought I had made my way out there to kill myself as a teen and so like you know it began for me to see things differently and so amongst them I may have been labeled as fast but I don't even think that because they knew about my traumas and they knew about my sexual assaults and they knew that I was being honest with them I didn't lie Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm about to go and have sex with so-and-so. I'll be back, you know, cover for me, <laughs> gotcha. you know. Um, but they also understood that it was my process. And so thankfully, I never felt judged within my circle. Um, it was more so, let me pray with you, sis. Let me talk to you, sis. Mm-hmm. All right, like, nah, come over to my house instead. You know, kind of those kind of things. Right. Because um, you had a real circle. Correct. Who, who, From early on. Right. Early on. Um, and so I think, I don't know, I could have been, but to go to your point, I think that that's very important. Right. And so even when I started to do, um, like my work within the human trafficking, sex trafficking work, um, I, I was able to relate. So every job that I've pretty much had, I've been able to relate to the population that I was working with. Um, and so for those that was the kids that was sex trafficked, I related to them. Mm-hmm. Because the only difference was is that I gave mine up for free. I, and I didn't have a pimp, right? But I would have been my own pimp if I knew I could have made a couple dollars because I was having sex anyway. Mm. Okay. And so when I worked with them, I was able to say, listen, I see me in you. 
Because had somebody come along and say, listen, I know you already have sex anyway, you know, you know, I can give you a couple dollars for it. I would have thought about it because I was mm-hmm. with my grandparents. They couldn't afford to buy me what I wanted mm-hmm. and what my friends had already. So if somebody came on with a money offer, I probably would have jumped at it. And then the trajectory of my life would have been different. Right. Um, but I think that people need to actually get away from those labels because no one gets down to that point, like you were saying, of like, but why? Right. Why is this little girl craving sex? Mm-hmm. Why is she willing to risk her, not only her sexual health, but her mental health mm-hmm. to go and have sex with people she may or may not know? She may or may not even know their real name or their last name mm-hmm. or where they really live or how old they really are. But it's about the satisfaction of the completion of sex. Whether I have an orgasm or not, it's the act itself. It's kind of like a smoker who, so I used to smoke cigarettes for a long time. But even when I would intermittently stop, right, I would do something. So the thing was like, oh, you have to have something in your mouth or something that's in your hand at the same time because you wanted to mimic that. Gotcha. Okay. Right. And so I would have chewing gum and like a toothpick or a straw in my hand mm-hmm. just for that three minutes to pass. Because if you could fight the urge for three minutes, it's supposed to go away. Okay. And but sometimes it will work, sometimes it wouldn't. Sometimes I'm like, damn, I still need to go get me a cigarette. Mm. And that's the same thing with my sexual addiction. Because sometimes I will have an orgasm and sometimes I wouldn't, but it was the act itself that satisfied me. And Sometimes it was with guys, you know, the R. Kelly's of the world, but mm-hmm. the R. Kelly's in our own community, which is a whole nother talk that I have. But um, it's easy for a girl to be labeled fast, but they never labeled a man as a predator. Never. But she fast, she and them grown folks face. But a child, and I've, I've posted this on my social media a couple of times, a girl could never be too fresh for a man that don't like little girls. Exactly. Regardless of however they think exactly. she's dressed or anything exactly. like that. Because mm-hmm. regardless of what Paul was telling me, my granddaddy and my dad never wanted to play house with me. Right. I never because asked you're a little him to. Girl. Right. I never asked him to because he said, don't ask them. Like when they felt like I was ready, they would come to me. Right. So I would just wait. But then in his head, he was like, yeah, because see, they don't feel like you're ready. So now let me train you more. And so he was able to get into my head. Again and again. Again and again and again. While I'm sitting there like, well, damn, they don't love me enough to play house with me. I'm ready. Mm -hmm. But I was never too fresh for men that don't like children. And I think that's what needs to be the normal conversation. Mm -hmm. It don't matter what a child's sexual urges are. As an adult, you have the responsibility to say, no, you are a child. Let's get you some mental health. Let's talk to your parents. Let's figure out why you have these underlying urges. Absolutely, because there there's a reason. Absolutely, and it's it's not a reason that you made up. Mm-hmm. It's something that someone with some kind of experience decided that they were going to do, yeah. and yeah. I think so. as a society, we pick and choose what questions we really want to ask because mm-hmm. we don't want to know the question, the answers, and because people refuse to ask that question of like why. It kind of goes back to um, what you were saying earlier that a child is groomed to not question adults. Mm. Even like my child, like she's, me and her dad have, like we started very early on promising that we was going to do things different with her Mm -hmm. because we needed her to know that she do have a voice very early on. 
because we didn't want her to be 15, 16, and she's muted. Right. And people are walking over her because she never felt like she had a voice. Mm-hmm. And so you have a voice and you can exercise it. Now we're gonna have a but there's a line because I'm still the mom. But, <laughs> exactly. But yes. you know, there are avenues where we do ask her, what do you think your punishment should be? Right. You know, because it's like we wanted her to know that for every action you have a consequence or a reward. Mm-hmm. And for that action, you are responsible whether you do it or not. Nice. But that the relationship and the communication lines are open because yes. I want her to, like you were saying, be able to ask why. Mm-hmm. If an adult say, come, come with me in this room, she's allowed to say why. Yes. For what? Right. Do, well, let me go ask my mom. Let me go mm-hmm. ask my dad. Because I wasn't allowed to ask questions. Like I said, I was raised by my grandparents. So that was definitely a thing a respect you don't question adults mm-hmm. right somebody tell you go sit yourself over there in that corner you sit yourself in that corner because that's how the old folks roll right and so paul was able to use that all of that mm-hmm. into my grooming and all of that grooming played a part in my life <laughs> wow. yeah yeah we we definitely um have to change and and, and i believe some of us um who are you know in our 40s and our 30s and even the ones in you know 20s who are we are becoming the parent now we are mm-hmm. changing that it's like no mm-hmm. ask questions i don't care who it is i don't care mm-hmm. what it is ask like my daughter's teacher she lets us know all the time that my daughter is not afraid to say why or mm-hmm. i didn't like that and i'm mm-hmm. like absolutely, absolutely. right and that, that's how it will continue to be um and j- just to change just a little bit so we, we were having a conversation previously um, and you have a story that's on YouTube where you were talking about being at one point in time addicted to pain medication. Did you ever find yourself using those medications to help with the pain of the traumas that you would experience? Oh, absolutely. I think that's, um, so I guess, so I, let's back up. So I'm a disabled army vet. Um, I fell off a, a deuce and a half military truck and hit my head, fractured my hip. Um, And so I have six herniated discs and I have fluid on my brain. Um, Amongst, you know, fibromyalgia and all this other kind of good stuff, right? And so it was a point that I was in and out of the hospitals so frequently that I probably averaged about 100 days a year um, inpatient. Um, because of the fluid on my brain and it caused me to have complex migraines. Mm. Um, and complex migraines for folks that don't know is so is, I think it's six different categories of migraines. And so I have characteristics from each one of those different classes. Um, and so it was like at one point, um, my symptoms were mimic that of mimic that of a stroke. And even now, if I have a migraine, like my right eye gets really low. Um, my face starts to droop. I get all of these sensations in my arm and it took us a long time to realize that it wasn't a stroke, that it was, you know, a symptom of my migraines. Mm. Um, and then, you know, just the back pain and the da 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 and all of this good stuff. So, you know, you're a vet. Right. They're going to hand you these pills. Right. They're going to give them to you easy without too much of a complaint. Um, and so when I was inpatient though, they would give me the IV of the morphine. And then the morphine began to not touch my pain. And so mm. they will give me Dilaudid, which is, I think, five or 10 uh, times stronger than morphine. 
um, they don't even all, they don't even give the law anymore, right? But at the time, they would give it to me, and I was like, you know, I'll get a good little dose um, every couple hours, and that was mixed in with like a muscle relaxer, and then mm. the, this one for the fluid on my brain, and this one was for you know this, and then I got some, some good Benadryl on the back end because everything made me itch, mm-hmm. and so um, that's how everything begins to cycle through. And so when you get discharged, they can't give you IV meds, so they give you pills. Right. And the pills don't give you, don't have the same effect as that that goes into your IV. We all know that. And mm-hmm. pills got to break down and all of that stuff. And so that one Dilaudid, that, you know, two milligram Dilaudid every eight hours began to be like four milligrams of Dilaudid every eight hours. And then that began to be like four milligrams every two hours mixed in with you know some muscle relaxers and like I would create my own combo of what they would give me in the hospital but I would try to make up you like if I'm in a hospital I'm getting eight milligrams of IV I'm gonna take about 10 milligrams of pill because I want to get the same sensation and the same relief from that what I would get in the hospital um and so at least that's what I was telling myself Mm -hmm. right And and so um I began to take the pills, not only for my physical pain, but for my mental pain, because um, a large part of my younger part of my, uh, see, I don't know how you categorize when you became an addict. Like, I think that's a question that I never really knew the answer to. Okay. And, and like, you know, so when did it become like the medical use versus like the addiction? Right. And so, you know, the meds, the doctors would tell you when you start to take more than what was prescribed then that's when you kind of began to abuse the medication. So that for me would have been very early on. Um, But in my head, I was rationalizing it because I was out in the community and I was doing community work. I was, you know, helping um, find kids that was kidnapped, Mm -hmm. find kids that was sex trafficked, find kids online. And I got to look at these sites with like this porn on it to see if it recognized any child that we're currently looking for that's missing or in the middle of the night walking the track you know to try to get information to the people and trying to find people and tell them that there's resources and you know um I remember having to go and rescue um one of my young ladies I was I actually still talk to a lot of the young ladies that I used to work with because I love them and they love me Mm -hmm. um but um those kind of things made me believe that I still had to have them pills because I wouldn't have been able to move as much as I was able to move freely if I didn't have those pills because of the pain. Right. But then the mental side was that, damn, these is kids, mm-hmm. right? And so anybody that do social services, most of us do it because we have experienced something that was traumatic, right? And so we want to go and help and see all of these different capacities or, or fill in the blanks of things that we was missing. And so in my head, I'm seeing these kids, but some of their stories are related to my story Mm -hmm. and some of their experiences are related to my experience. And so how am I going to forget that? Oh, let me take a pill. Right. And then, so while I'm not thinking, I can get into this robotic way of like focusing about where I need to focus at for everybody's safety. Right. Um, and then the other side is like, how can you be sober to listen to kids' stories all day long mm-hmm. about how they've been sexually assaulted over and over and over and over and over again? As a sexual assault survivor, victim then, right? 
Um, and so the pills helped me get through that. Mm. Um, and I was able to mask it with my village where I thought I was um, because they knew I had so much pain. Right. And it's like, well, she's supposed to take these because she's in pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but not knowing that some of that, the pain took, was taken care of for four cycles of that. Right. You know what I mean? Um, but it's like, oh, can you hand me my purse? Oh, yeah, my back's starting to hurt so bad. And really, it ain't. It's like, really, like, I'm just sobering up and I don't want to be sober. Right. Because now, them children's trauma is going to put my face in their trauma. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to have to deal with my stuff that I don't want to deal with and that I had put away in the closet because it's easier for me to tell pieces of my experience just to be relatable right. to whoever I was working with. Um, and it was the point that I was working with victims of crime. Um, with the nonprofit that I assisted with starting up, um, fresh out the military. Um, and I was in charge of the youth division there because for me, I didn't really have an advocate mm-hmm. when I was going through the court system. Not for my, well, I had a lawyer when I, my grandparents adopted me, but for the rape, when I was, I was actually gang raped when I was 12 or 13, somewhere in between there uh, with my cousin. Um, and so we had to travel back and forth out of state because we was out of state when it happened mm-hmm. um, to court. But I didn't have an advocate. I didn't have someone to say, young lady, I know what you're going through. Mm-hmm. My grandparents took me to one therapy session because that was recommended by the court people. Mm-hmm. And that one therapy session, the therapist, I remember very clearly because this another thing that changed the trajectory of my mm-hmm. life. Um, my grandparents took me very reluctantly because they believed God was going to take care of me and heal, right? And so they took me to this guy's appointment in like uptown DC. And I remember we went into this very fancy office. He had those big windows across and they gave us some paperwork, fill out this paperwork, you know, he'll be right back, you know, he'll be right back in. And as I guess my, somebody was filling out the paperwork when uh, we looked out the window, the guy had went downstairs to the little stand and was like buying a hot dog, right? And so in my grandparents' head, that was like, oh no, this is so not professional. Mm-hmm. And so when that man came back in, they said, thank you and goodbye. And that was the one time my grandparents took me to therapy for all of my trauma that I had went through. Because by the time I was um, at the gang rape stage, it's the time that I told everybody else about Paul. Okay. And because in that investigation, they asked, you know, has anything like this ever happened before? And I was like, yeah, with Paul. And it was like, what? Wait a minute. Then all these heads turned and my mom had came with um, the family up um, for like when we first, when everything finally came out. Um, And I had that conversation with her in front of everybody. And she's like, well, nobody, nobody told me. And I had to tell her, no, I remember knocking on your door and you telling me everything would be okay. And you closed that door in my face and you sent me back in there to Paul. Hmm. And she didn't remember any of that. And I didn't understand her addiction, right? Until I had to face my own. Mm. And that started me to believe and understand not just only her addiction, but my dad's addiction. My dad was addicted to heroin. My mom was addicted to crack. But my dad was also a drug dealer. And my dad was also murdered in them same streets that he slung drugs on. Mm. 
right? And so it's like, damn, like, why is this stuff happening to me? Right. I was just with my dad, and he promised me that he was going to stop selling drugs. We had one for a walk. And he was like, let me make this one run, and I'm done. And that one run was his last one. And so that was another thing that I felt like I was being punished for because you took my dad. And that was hard. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, you know, here's yet another thing that God was punishing me for. And I had no control over it. Right. But, you know, in church, they tell you, but everything happens for a reason. And I probably should name my book, Everything Happens for a Reason, because I couldn't tell you how many times I heard that over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then it gets to the point, it's like, so when does the reward happen? Right. Because I'm working these nonprofit jobs and I'm making bare minimum because we don't get paid much. Mm-hmm. Our rewards come from the lives that we help. But it's like, well, I want to not have to worry about paying bills. <laughs> you no, know, exactly. um, while I'm getting up at two, three o'clock in the morning going to help make a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's like I'm trying to do all of these good karma deposits, but on the side, I'm feeding my sex addiction, I'm feeding my pain pill addiction, and what people see is what they think they know. Right. And so I begin to put on a mask. My comedy and my humor begin to be the front of me because that's what I'm gonna show you first. Mm-hmm. And then if you know me enough to get beyond that, then you'll see all of the trash that I was hiding. Mm. So, um, I don't even think I remember what your original question was. Somehow I got down this rabbit hole. It doesn't, it (laughs) doesn't even matter because I believe you just provided somebody with something that they, that they needed to hear. Um, Mm -hmm. so what, what made you decide to actually tell somebody like, this is what happened to me. Um, and kind of, what are you going to do about it? Like, what, what made what what made you get to that point? Because so for many which, people never get to that point. For which assault? <laughs> oh wow! Okay. You um, know, <laughs> pick one. <laughs> right. Wow. Wow. So so did you did you tell someone like about each one, or was it kind of all these things have happened to me? I've like someone has taken so much away from me in so many different ways that I just have to you know, say this, or did someone prompt you, or was it like, um, hey, T, what's going on? You acting a little different, or, yeah. you know, what what brought upon the thing where you were just like, you know what, I'm going to tell you this, and here it is. Um. Wow. So, okay, so after the Paul thing, I didn't say anything again, you know, until I was gang raped um, with my cousin. I think I was 12 or 13, something like that. Um, I'm probably want to say I might be, I might even been 11 because my dad got murdered when I was 12 and I remember him coming to the court proceedings with me. So, you know, victim brain, sorry. Um, but, um, that's when that situation happened, you know, um, I'm gonna go back to what she was saying about the fast, the fast girl. So my cousin and I, um, were out and we were playing and I was out of town visiting her. Um, and my aunt, because my granddad, well, I don't want to say that because then I might tell who she is, but, um, but yeah, we're cousins. And so okay. we were out playing hide and go seek, um, with the other community kids. And this was her neighborhood. She knew the kids, you know what I'm saying? Like small town, you know, USA. Um, and 
we were hiding by some grape bushes, some grape vines. Mm-hmm. I think they were grapes because I used to pick them and eat them. And they, I remember they used to taste really sweet. Um, but somewhere in between there, the other kids like kind of hid like down the other side of the street. Okay. Um, and three guys came up. Um, they it was a quick exchange. She knew them because small town USA, right? Mm-hmm. I had no idea who the hell they were. Um, and there was a knives involved. They got us into their house. Um, and we were, you know, kind of forced to watch each other be raped by these guys. Um, one of those guys was really, really burnt. Kind of like Freddy Krueger burnt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to go back to why that's important mm-hmm. um, as we kind of get further into, you know, this convo. Um, but um, it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, and I got, and I didn't realize this until her and I actually had really recent conversations about mm-hmm. what she remembers versus what I remember and all of that stuff. Um, but he was the worst if, you know, if there's a such thing, right. He was the worst out of all of the, well, the other two guys, it was three of them. Um, and I can just now as an adult think back because he was really burnt. So like, he probably didn't have you know, a sexual relationship with anyone, you know, and it's all of that is presumptive, but um, maybe he felt like he had more to prove. Hmm. Um, sorry, what was your question? Because I, I, I feel like I'm about to go down a rabbit hole and I want no, to no, it's fine. I it, loop it back. It, it was well, just what, what me, right. Right, okay, sorry. So, um, it just took me back to a thought. So, while we were in there right at some point so after all of that they basically tell us you know don't say anything we're going to kill you you know da 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 like and that was believable for me because my cousin knew them like she went to school with I think one or two of them and like knew their sisters and small town USA mm-hmm. and so that thought of I'm going to kill you that threat of I'm going to kill you became real um not for me because I knew I could stay in the house we was only going to be there for a couple more days like I could find a reason just to stay in the house. And I knew I was bringing myself back to Maryland. Um, but my concern was for her because I was the older cousin and I was supposed to be the watcher. I was supposed to protect us. That's what I'm telling myself, right? Um, and not only did I get a punishment, yet again, she got punished with me because she was with me because that's what I'm telling myself, right? Um, and when we left, we vowed to not say anything because, you know, my granddad and, you know, they was gone to the store. And so we was like, we're going to take a shower. We're not going to tell nothing. Like, I, we got this game plan together. We're not going to say nothing. Like, after it's all said and done, like, you see them, you don't say nothing. They're not going to say nothing. And it just is what it is. Because I've been trained right. to come up and cover all of this stuff. So I'm the expert in this very moment. Mm-hmm. We're not going to say nothing. Because then the consequences can become more. And I already felt like I didn't protect her the first time. So now we got to do what Paul told me to do. We don't say nothing. And so we didn't. And I remember the next morning waking up um, to my family member sitting there and looking very, um, just very sweet, right? But I could tell something was up. And so... Mm -hmm. Um, they basically was like, well, what happened yesterday? I don't know what you're talking about. 
And right. so um, the conversation continued, continued. And so in my head, I'm thinking like, dang, my cousin said something. Like, why? Why would you say something? Because now the consequences are going to be more, right? Um, and so what ended up happening is somewhere throughout that process, a nosy neighbor saw us with the guys, right? Her angle of what she saw was us going into the house voluntarily with these three boys being fresh, being fresh. Right. So my family member was coming to questioning us about being fresh and what we, did we do with those boys in that house? Mm. So that's even how the conversation started, right? With this very like stern, you gonna tell me what the hell y'all had going on. Right. So then at that point, it's like self-preservation now mm-hmm. because no, we didn't voluntarily go nowhere. Right. We didn't voluntarily go nowhere, but that's what the nosy neighbor had called and told her while she was at work. And so in her head, it wasn't no urgency, right? Because we were just being fresh. So when she got off the next morning, you know, that was when the conversation happened. Mm -hmm. Because at this point, I, you know, it very much felt like it was going to be, um, what do you call it? Uh, Not scolding, but um, reprimand, reprimand discipline, right? Because now you're being fresh. Right. And so when we told that it wasn't that situation, then phone calls started to be made. Um, The family jumped in cars, buses and everything else and got to us out of town, the Mm -hmm. family, including my mom and my mom's mom. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And my aunt on my mom's side and my grandmother and, you know, just my dad's side, not my dad. He probably was still in jail at another point right then. Um, But. At that time, you know, it's like, well, what's going on? Da, 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 has this ever happened before? And it's like, yeah, Paul. Mm-hmm. And so then I told them, you know, da, da, da. And my mom was like, you never told me that. And I'm like, I did. Right. So she, at that moment, became the only person in that room. Because all eyes went directly to her. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, how are we just finding this out? Right? And so my aunt kind of made some calls, this, this, and this. And we found out that Paul was in jail. Because he had did the same thing to his niece, his sister's daughter. Right. But at the time, Terry, all I knew was that it was I was heard that he had did something to another family member Mm -hmm. and he was in jail. That's all I knew. And when I tell you that's all I knew until last year is when I found out exactly what cousin it was. And it it blew my mind. Um, But that's when I told about Paul. Um, I think all of the other assaults, the date rape, um, I didn't tell anybody. Up, well, the next morning, I called my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And I was like, something just didn't feel right. right. And he's saying, well, ain't nothing happened. But how did I wake up with no underwear? Mm-hmm. Why is my body telling me something happened? Why am I having these pieces of a memory of me having oral sex with you, but you saying none of that happened? Mm-hmm. And I called my homegirl, my best friend, actually, when I, when I got to my car. And I was like, something don't feel right. right. And so she was like, what happened? I was like, all I remember, I had went over there. And the ladies that's listening, they know, sorry, I'm going to let you in on a secret, a, man, a secret for the woman. They might get in trouble. I might get in trouble for telling you this. But nine times out of 10, when we go on a date, we already know if we're going to have sex with the guy. Okay. We do. We already know because that's when you're going to wear your matching brown panty set. 
You're going to make sure you put your lotion all over on your elbows. You get yourself together because you already know that you're going to, you know, mm-hmm. for the most part. So I already know I wasn't doing nothing with him. I was tired. I had a long day. Um, and this was like kind of our first date. And I broke the rule. I went to his house. Right. But my my village knew where I was. So I felt covered. Okay. You know, I dropped his address. Here's his social media stuff. Here's his his phone number. Like, you know, we dropped files when we right. were going to people's house because just we don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and he had cooked. Um, and I remember sitting on the couch and we was planning to watch Scandal. And he had bought the, you know, the food over. He had poured me a glass of wine. And at this point, I'm pill popping. So, like, it takes a lot to get me drunk, high, mm-hmm. or anything else. And I'm ex-army. So, I, my liver holds a lot of stuff. Right. Right? So, when he gave me the glass of wine, for some reason, I started to get tired. And I was like, oh, like, why am I? I, I shouldn't be this tired. You know, mm-hmm. but then I was like, I did have a long day at work. Um, you know, at the time, I was kind of battling migraines, but I didn't have one that day. Right? right. Um, And so, I'm like, well, dang, I must have really just had a long day. So, I remember watching TV. I remember his roommate coming into the house and like him introducing me to the roommate. And I felt kind of suspect, right? Mm. Because it was just one of the things that like he said, what's up? But like his what's up had a little energy with it, right? right? And so I'm texting my homegirls like, yeah, his roommate just came in. Girl, I don't know what's going on with him, but I'm about to get ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember waking up the next morning. Wow. And the next morning, he was sitting at the end of the bed. I was in the bed. I had on um, my bra and my T-shirt, but no underwear, no pants. Woman 101. Most of us don't sleep in bras. I'm one of those, and this may be TMI, Terry, I'm sorry. I don't sleep in bras. And so when I woke up, that was the first thing that clicked in my head, that I didn't. I know I didn't go to sleep at this man's house. I had no plans to spend a night at this man's house. I had a mm-hmm. daughter at home. Right. I had no plans to stay, right? And so I woke up to like all these calls because my mom was staying with me at the time, which is a whole nother conversation about that relationship. Um, but go back to the Stockholm conversation we had earlier. Right. That plays a role in it. Um, but um, I was like, you know, what is going on? He was like, oh, you went to sleep, da 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 da. It ain't felt right. Because where's, where's my underwear? Where's my mm-hmm. pants? You know, where's this? Where's that? Um, um, you can feed him that book. Sorry. Um, and I was like, well, something don't feel right. And so when I called my best friend, she was like, well, what do you mean? What do you think happened? I said, my body's telling me something happened. Mm -hmm. My quick memories is telling me something happened. And so she was like, well, you need to ask him. And I was like, I did. And he said, nothing happened. So she was like, well, ask him again. And so I felt it very suspicious that he was supposed to be off that next day because we had planned him to come meet me at work to do okay. lunch because he was off because like I said I planned to go home that night right because right. I still had to go to work so he was supposed to we were supposed to have lunch and so that next morning when I'm asking all these questions he's basically rushing me out and he's like oh you know I gotta go do this I gotta do this so we basically left out the house at the same time he got in his car I got in mine so I call him and I'm like, well, you sure nothing happened? And he's like, no. But then he's like, but you know, you suffer from migraines. And didn't you say that your memory be kind of messed up? And I'm like, I do. Because in the midst of my migraines, I have had memory loss to the point where I didn't even know who I was, Terry. Like my husband had to give me my ID 
mm-hmm. to show me who I was. My memory had messed up to the point that I didn't even know my daughter. I was looking at her like, whose child is this calling me mom? And oh, wow. I had to be shown pictures of me pregnant mm-hmm. with for me to come back that, you know, she was my child. And I still have some memory loss now. So like I always kind of lead. That was one of my conversations that I had early on, just in the event that I'm with you and like I start to loop out. Right. Like I need for you to know you need to call these people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I just need people to be informed about what I had going on. Absolutely. So at that point he used it, right? And so he was like, Well, didn't you say you have memory loss and stuff like that? And I was like, Yeah, but when I have a migraine, I didn't have a migraine. Right. You know, what kind of wine was that? Because I only had one glass and I can drink a bottle easy mm-hmm. before I even start to feel a little anything. And so one glass wouldn't have done that. Right. Um, and he was like, Wow, well, you know, I don't know. You just said you was tired. Okay, so but what about my pants? Who took my pants off? Oh, you did. So I took my underwear off and we didn't have sex. And he was like, well, no, no, the well is the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what did we do? I said, because I right. remember pieces of oral sex in my head. Like, I remember that. And so he was like, oh, yeah, we did do that. So now we're coming into a little bit truth, right? Um, but as the conversations went on, he still made it seem like we didn't do anything mm-hmm. at all. But like I said, my body told me different. So, you know, I left it alone. I went to my doctor. And I'm like, I need you to run me for everything because something don't feel right. And I need to be ran for everything. And I remember when I was um, at work and I got a call and I remember it was me and my operations director. We was in office at the time, just talking. And I was like, hold on, you know, this is my doctor's office. Now we were a staff of three people. Okay. But we had conversation and three women, mm-hmm. you know, so we talked and I kind of told them about my date and like, um, and it was actually funny because at the time I was serial dating, right? And so it was the conversation for every Monday of like how my weekend went. Mm. <laughs> One number, because my interns made this spreadsheet. It was really fun um, of like, well, who, who did you go out with this weekend? Oh, I went out with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Mm. So serial dating, let me back up and let me say this. Serial dating don't mean I was having sex with everybody right. I was dating. Right, let me, exactly. let me Let me go ahead and say that. Because people were like, well, she was a sex addict. I was a sex addict, but I still had a type. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> I, still, I still had a type. I wasn't doing it. Well, not all of them, but probably most of them. I'll say that too, in transparency. But um, I was like, you know, can you run me for everything? So the phone rang and I answered and it was the nurse from the doctor's office. And she's like, you know, I'm calling with your test results. You know, da 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 da. So I'm starting to jot down what she's saying because she's like, "What's your pharmacy number?" And I'm like, "What the hell? She need my pharmacy number for?" So I give her, you know, the pharmacy, and so she's like, "We're going to call you in some prescriptions." Um, and you know, the doctor would like to follow up with you in the office, you know, for a sonogram. Mm-mm. For what? And she's like, "A sonogram." Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And she's like, "And we also need to call you in some medication because you have some STDs." Terry, let me tell you something. Never, never, ever in any of my experiences voluntarily have I ever had an STD. I was always safe, mm-hmm. right? Because I can control that. So when she told me that all I could do was jot things down and I'm crying. So now my coworker has come in to like comfort me, right? Mm-hmm. She's standing behind me. And I lift up the pad for her to see what I had jotted down. And in my head, I blanked out 
and I went back to the training that my dad taught me from being in the street. I went back to my forensics training. Mm-hmm. I went back to my criminal justice degree right. and I was planning and plotting because now this man got to die because you left a whole bunch of packages for mm-hmm. us to not have done anything. But I trusted my body mm-hmm. and my body told me something was different. Right. And that broke me. That broke me. And it got to the point where in my head, I knew I had to replay everything and like go and kill him. And I meant that with every piece in my soul because you left me with stuff that I didn't ask for. Right. And even when I called him and I was like, yeah, so I just got these results from the doctor. He made it seem like I was just a fresh chick that gave my box out to anybody. Oh, wow. And how did I know it came from him? Now, mind you, I already knew something was going on. So I didn't go out with anybody, have sex with anybody after mm-hmm. that happened, right? Right. And my body was feeling different. Right. And your body won't lie to you. Exactly. It'll, it'll always tell you the truth. It'll tell you whether you want to hear it or not. Right. Um, and I told the lady on the phone because I even felt like she was judging. I, re- I, re- I felt like the nurse was judging, mm-hmm. right? Because she was like, well, you know, you need to go ahead and tell um, whoever you were with that, you know, they should probably come in and get tested or go and get tested so that you guys can get treatment together. And I was like, ma'am, I'm not together with the person that gave me any of this. Mm-hmm. I didn't voluntarily lay with that person either. And she paused. And then she came, when she started to talk again, I could feel the empathy mm. in her voice. Because but the then judgment was, came first. The judgment led, right? Because it's like, well, you pregnant and got some, some packages, sis. And it's like, but I didn't ask for that, sis. Right. But you judged me first. Mm-hmm. And so calling my prescriptions, and you might if you need to know my business, you should read my chart because I'm sure my doctor put on my chart that I felt like I was sexually assaulted. Right. Which is what brought a, me to the office. Exactly. Because that's on my chart. Yeah. And, and it's an obligation for them to annotate that. Right. And so I, I, and, at that point, I felt like you might want to be quiet because I might pull up at your job. Mm. I didn't tell what well, I told at that moment, right? Because I told my coworker as well as by then the ED, which was the third person, um, what happened. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need to go. And I remember leaving out the building and getting in my car. And in my head, I'm like, I need to go to Home Depot. I need to go get this. I need to go get and mm-hmm. like figure some stuff. I need to go get a prepaid phone. Like I, I went street 101. Right. right? And before I can pull off, um, my supervisor jumped in the car and she had the picture off of my desk of my daughter. And she showed me my daughter and she says, whatever you thinking to do, this is why you can't. Mm. And she says, because you promised this little girl that you would never be taken away from her if you can control it. And she and that, knew that well to listen, be able to. Because my daughter's not supposed to be here. I was told that I wasn't going to have kids. Mm. And I was told that I was going, that I produced too much estrogen and that my cervix was weak and all of this progesterone and all of this stuff. So she's here and seven other babies aren't. You know, and so I knew that I had to 
clicked back in mm -hmm. because she was my reason. Right. Um, and so in true form, I did what I knew best. I took some pills. I took more pills because now I need to help this baby find this way mm. somewhere else. And I began to be depressed. And I began to feel that what I left with him didn't compare to what he left with me. Right. And I was being punished yet again. <sighs> the other assaults in between my village. That's all. Because I knew what it was like to talk to the police. Mm -hmm. And for them to make it seem like you're just a fresh-ass child that shouldn't have been doing what you was doing. And so there's no way I can say that I voluntarily went to this man's house and voluntarily sat and ate his food and drank wine and his side against mine about everything else. I couldn't allow the courts to put me in that position. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just told my village. My village began, be, became my therapist. <laughs> my therapist became my therapist. Until my stuff became too much for my therapist. And this chick told me she could no longer be my therapist because I had too much stuff to unpack. So that changed my tra trajectory for mental again. health again. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, but the good thing is you, you did have somebody somewhere to, mm -hmm. you know, unpack it with. Absolutely. Um, and had it not been for my village, I know. I know I wouldn't be here. Like mm -hmm. they have stopped my hand right. many times when I have trying to kill myself and they pulled together and I, mm -hmm. I'm, I know I'm blessed for my village because I know many people that don't have that surrounding mm -hmm. um, but I know that God put each and every person like that in my life to even when I was at my own failure deep deep down bottom they was there right. I never knew that they knew I was an addict until I told them. I thought I told them because I went through like this whole process and I went to rehab and mm -hmm. <laughs> oh gosh, it was crazy. But um, and talking to them now, four years into my sobriety, they're telling me things that I didn't know. Mm. You know, they're telling me that they knew that mm -hmm. I was an addict, but it wasn't their job to judge me. It was their job to love me through. Right. And they did just that, Terry, and I had no idea. And And that's the thing we as friends or relatives or what have you, sometimes when we don't necessarily know what to say, it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't be, or, you know, you need to get it together. Mm -hmm. But it's like, no, I don't know. And, and I try even in my relationships, um, I, whatever you're telling me, cool. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. When you're ready, mm -hmm. as long as you're not harming yourself to a point where you may not be here or you your life may completely go left. Mm -hmm. um, when you're ready, I got your back. Mm -hmm. Like Whatever it is you need me to do. But mm -hmm. if you need to just call me in the middle of the night and scream, I'm going to mm -hmm. listen. And then when you're like, all right, I'm done and you hang up. Okay, cool. And then I'm going to check on you the next day. Mm -hmm. Um because like as, knowing people who have gone through traumas, I've learned that asking questions like, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Or asking things like, oh, how are you today? It's kind of like, no, those aren't necessarily the right questions. But right. I wouldn't have known that had I not known those people who had right. been through those things and then right. told me, don't ask me that. Right. And I'm like, okay, got you. And it's kind of like, what, what are you up to? Or mm -hmm. it's like, you know, to change it up and then if mm -hmm. they 
bring out something it's like okay they're not having the best day Uh now me as the support system what do i do okay i know they like this kind of flower i know Uh they love pepsi or oreo so let Uh me hit up go puff and Uh send that to the door Uh i'm thinking of you you know things like that Uh to that victim and i i use the term victim strongly like don't let anyone tell you you're not a right. victim like it and then but then you you don't have to coddle yourself with the victimness forever mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. can come be the phoenix and you know come out of the ashes and share your story that will change someone else's life just as you did today but what advice would you give to the person who's decided i'm not going to tell anybody because no one will believe me hmm. um so to that person um, I say F them. Um, and if you want to hear the whole thing, like I, as Terry was saying on Love Advocates, I did, um, I started my healing journey this year, well, last year. Um, and it was at the, my grandmother who raised me, it was her 10th, the 10th anniversary of her death. And that morning I got up and just kind of moving throughout the day and I felt something was on me but wasn't quite sure Mm -hmm. and something grabbed me and I was like well let me go I'm gonna go to the park and I used to walk the field in the morning okay um and I was like well let me just I maybe just need to go do my morning walk and so by the time I got to the park I was crying so bad I couldn't even get out and I didn't know why I was crying but it was buckets upon buckets of tears that I had held in for years because even in the midst of my addiction, even in the midst of, um, you know, planning funerals right after I had my own child, my granddaddy died three days after I had my daughter. He died the day after I came home from the hospital on father's day. Mm. And he never got to meet my daughter, even though in his head, he saw her way before I did. Mm. Um, but then my grandmother went into isolation and that, and like I began her to be her caretaker. And so while she's taking her pills, I'm taking my pills because now I got to figure out how I can manage through this. Mm-hmm. When I saw her take her last breath and I kicked that pill bottle under her bed, I realized that it was something that I couldn't control. And all of my supports was being taken away from me, my parental supports. Mm. Um, and so I allowed myself to get into this dangerous cycle of self-abuse and self-revictimization. Um, I'm in my second marriage and I'm 40. Um, and the marriage I'm in right now, we're more friends than we are husband and wife um, because of my relationship with men that I got early on saw at four years old. Mm-hmm. And so that makes it hard for me to be subservient to my husband, to any man. Right. Because I feel like men have dogged me my whole life. Um, and it felt good, though. It feels good that I have a village of folks that don't judge me mm-hmm. or anything. They may be like, see, you tripping. And they'll tell me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. They tell me if I'm wrong. They dig in my butt if I'm wrong. And they collectively do it. Mm. Um, but they also collectively link arms of support around me when I'm in my own destructive mindset. Right. Um, 
But I also know that everybody don't have that. Um, and so when I got shook at my grandmother's 10th anniversary, I realized that I had not cried. I had not grieved. And I'm not talking about just the, I'm not talking about just like deaths of right. people. Like I didn't grieve my dad. I didn't, I, it was years before I realized that that was my dad and that coffin. I didn't grieve my granddaddy because I had to jump into planning his funeral, even though I was a new mom and nobody gave a damn. I was pumping, pumping milk as I was writing his obituary because I was the strong person, mm. right? I'm the strong person in the family. Um, when my grandmother died, I'm the strong person. Mm -hmm. And I still had to process through and plan her funeral, you know, with the help of the family and stuff. But also deal with my daughter who became my grandmother's best friend because she felt like my granddaddy's spirit had moved over to her. Mm. And so now I had to answer to a child who's like three of like, well, where's my grandma? Mm -hmm. because she called her every day and explained to my daughter that God, she's like, well, God don't, God need a cell phone so I can talk to my grandma. How do you answer that? And heal at the same time. Right. So I had to be a mom before I could be a person and heal. So I packaged it. Um, and so when I got smacked in my face of like, T, you have been wearing a mask for years and crying in the shower doesn't process through, that's pushing through. Mm -hmm. And so I had to start a journey of healing. I started my healing journey and I've been very public with it um, on my love advocates page. And I've done a couple videos of talking about it, but it made me realize that um, I needed to grieve my four-year-old self that got lost. Wow. I had to grieve my seven-year-old self that started to have sex with a grown ass man. I had to grieve for myself that was raped at, gang at knife point. I had to grieve for the one who was date raped because I just was trying to go have a good time. Not by just that one, there was three others. I think I calculated the, the last month that I've probably been victimized by at least 20 men. That's a large ass number to have right. put. And those are my involuntary lay down. Um, and so I had to realize that I had to grieve for all of that, but I also had to give myself permission to heal. Mm-hmm. And for me to say, the reason you went through all that you went through, because now I'm at 40, I can see why God allowed me to do that. And while even though I was dealing with the consequences, there was a reward at the end because I was able to help so many people along my way. And because I was a childhood survivor of sexual assault, was childhood victim, I'm a survivor now, um, and survivors a mindset. It's not a, it's not, it's the mindset that what they did to me didn't break me. Mm. So now I feel like I'm surviving because what didn't break, kill you made you stronger. And because I'm stronger, I know that my past does not determine my present or my future. And because I have been sexually assaulted at such a young age, I have been able to help children understand that they have a voice. Mm -hmm. And I understand what it's like to feel like somebody's going to judge you because you felt like you had the wrong outfit on and maybe you deserved it. I know what it feels like to feel like, you know, you don't want to say nothing because somebody's going to think that you fast and that you fresh, or you don't want to say something because you feel like what you're going to say going to break the family up. And so I did a whole video on family secrets and how they lead to family deaths because I realized that I'm not the only one. Mm -hmm. Early on, I mentioned that I found out the person, the other person who Paul raped I didn't know until I started my healing journey last year and I was making these videos.
and Paul got murdered and that jumped me when I tell you my PTSD took over Terry I lost my job last year because I couldn't get my ass out the bed Mm. I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't stop figuring out what is going on with me. And I have realized that I've had been putting band-aids upon band-aids. And it's like a, a dam, the water dam. Mm-hmm. We've seen from Hurricane Katrina what happens when a dam breaks and the water has nowhere to go but out. Right. And that's how I felt. I felt like I had been patching myself in all of these different time points and filling it up and covering it with my good work. Mm. So because I helped you, guess what? I helped myself. Let me put a Band-Aid here. Oh, what you need this? Oh, I got you. Let me put a Band-Aid here. Mm. And all of those filled these voids that I felt like people took from me. I was empty. And so my good work and my good deeds, I was trying to fill myself with it, but not realizing that I had packed so much in my closet that it was going to bust open. Right. And so when it bust open, it smacked me and I had to find me a therapist ASAP because my mental was gone. It wasn't, oh, but T, we need you. I didn't care, Terry. I mm-hmm. didn't. But I was, con- I was determined to process through and not push through. Right. Because me pushing through got me to where I was, where I lost it. Mm-hmm. I was about one day short of an impatience. And I went through therapists and I was in this intensive therapy and my village came and supported and grounded me as much as they could because they saw my hurt. I Mm -hmm. called one of my sisters on my way to the cemetery that day. I went down to the cemetery. I was like, I have to go and talk to them, to my grandparents. And I don't usually do that. And I couldn't bring myself to do it. And I picked up the phone and I called one of my village members. I'm like, what are you doing? And she was like, nothing, sis, what's up? And I was like, I need you. She said, tell me where. And she pulled up at the cemetery with me. And she pulled the blanket out of her trunk. And we laid there. And she helped me clean up around their grave and have conversations. Mm-hmm. But I realized people don't have that. Everybody don't have that. And so for that person that feel like they don't have that village, I'm welcoming you into mine. I welcome you and, and we, we are accepting new members in this healing journey because you can't do this by yourself. Because I have talked to, just since last year when I started doing this journey, so many people that are even close to me, Terry, that have opened up themselves about their own abuse, mm. that they have kept silent. Because my whole thing is that you no longer have to suffer silently. Right. Because for years as victims, we re-victimize ourselves and we feel so much shame, so much embarrassment that we hold everything in while the abuser goes on with their lives. They go on to have families. They got good jobs. They doing this, they doing that. And the whole time, every time you see them, you are planning their death or your death. Somebody's death is being planned every time you see them you smell them, you hear their voice, you hear somebody say, oh, how good of a person they were. Because that's how I felt when I was reading the stuff about Paul. And this started a war amongst family. Because at this point, guess what? I remember him when I seen his picture on my timeline because I forgot his sister is on my timeline. Mm. I had blocked all of that out, right? Like I was saying, his sister was dating my, um, my uncle. Mm-hmm. They have a child. I'm the child's friend. And his sister's friend. But all of that 
connection, I got lost mm-hmm. until I'm scrolling and I'm like, wait a minute. And I scroll back and I seen his face and it was the same face I remember from childhood. I instantly smelt exactly how he smelt like the pack of Marlboros and how his breath smelt like the St. Ives beer. I remember that just mm-hmm. by looking at his picture. And that made me realize that we never know someone's story. When somebody put up rest in peace, so-and-so, so-and-so, I got angry, Terry. Let me tell you, I got angry with people I didn't know because I'm looking at this condolence post and I'm like, that's her brother. I guess she got a right to grieve, but he's also a pedophile, right? Because he raped me for years. He raped his niece and, and got sent to jail. But these are just the two that we know about. Ain't no way you're going to tell me we was the only two. So when you come out, oh, he was a good man. What man did you see, ma'am? Because I didn't see that. I saw a man who had a, a sexual pedophile who has to register and has a sex offender registry. And I make sure I post it back on my page. Because this is the good man that y'all saying rest in peace to. I wish him no rest. <laughs> because he gave you none. None. And even all of these years in, the things he did to me made me see things differently mm-hmm. made me question a lot i'm still questioning because i'm still on this journey right and realizing that the things that i thought that i knew i don't know mm-hmm. and so that plays a role in all of my relationships because i lead with my humor because you got to laugh through your pain and that's what i would tell that person too it wasn't your fault whether you feel like you could have did things differently or not, at the end of the day, you are not responsible for another adult making a dumbass decision. Mm-hmm. And that one decision changes you for life. But you must know you must seek help. You must seek support in whatever way that looks like for you, but healthy support because yeah. we're easy to choose destructive behavior because hurt becomes our new normal. Mm-hmm. Pain begins our new normal. So a lot of us got a lot of tattoos. A lot of us got piercings. A lot of us cut. A lot of us take a lot of pills. A lot of us might smoke crack. You know, and it's like nobody wakes up and say, I want to be a crackhead. Mm -hmm. Something had to happen to make you want to start using drugs. And I didn't understand that until I realized that I was an addict myself. When I had to go to rehab and I had to be away and I had to go into the mental health hospital for two weeks before that because I lost my mind and I tried to kill myself over and over and over again each time getting closer but mm-hmm. realizing that I God why is you saving me and now, and now I know this. and right. now I know right I had right. to go through hell so that I could help somebody else process through their own hell and even when you were looking at leaving here yeah you know the 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 angel who ran out to your car with your daughter's yeah. picture and said, Hey, um, you know, your, your daughter, yeah. you know, being, you know, the bright light and reflection kind of, I'd be seeing her on uh, the Coco <laughs> kids and I'm yeah. like, she is awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's my Julia. Um, yeah. But you know, when, when she's there with such full of light and I you owe know, her a healthy mom, Terry, mm-hmm. I do. And I you're, you're giving it to her. I owe her that because I didn't want her to have the same, anger in her heart for her mom as I had for mine because you're changing I had to, the generational curse yes and even having those open conversations about addiction 
She knows that I'm a recovering addict. She knows that I got mental health problems. She knows that I've been sexually assaulted because I feel like I wouldn't be doing her a due service by hiding who her mom is. Right. Because I need for her to be prepared to see her own awareness mm-hmm. of what she may be, um, you know, hereditary down to. But her voice, being having a voice mm-hmm. is what I need for her to hear from me. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how loud it is or how peaceful it is, but that your voice holds power and nobody can make you be quiet when you have something to say. Absolutely. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And so because I didn't know that, I wasn't able to, I think I was falling prey and I began to have a poster on my head that said, pick me, mm. rape me, pick me. I'm not going to tell. Rape me, pick me. I'm not going to fight. Rape me, pick me. I understand because this is what I'm supposed to do. Oh. And now I could tell my daughter that that's not true. Right. You have control over who you give yourself to. And if someone decides to take it, that's not your fault. Because right. no one is responsible for somebody else's weight. Yes. It's only how we process through that we're responsible for. Yes. Re- so. Regardless of, and, and as a man who was raised by women, I, I, I my, my father passed away when I was five, um, but I've had few male role models Mm -hmm. that I could actually walk up to and say hey I know you Mm -hmm. growing up um and you know growing up being raised by my aunties and my mom and my sisters and you know now being a husband Mm -hmm. um and being a a dad to a little girl I'm I'm just like no it it doesn't matter what you wore it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what you smelled like none of that matters Mm -hmm. If it was a violation, it was a violation, and mm-hmm. you have the right to be open, be transparent, tell mm-hmm. somebody. Um, again, all, all of the things that we talked about today, you're going to be able to find the resources in the bio. And can I um, add, go ahead? Can I add one more thing into that story as we as we wrap up? I part of this journey has been my voice and my stance to tell people that we need to hold folks accountable in our own community. Mm -hmm. Um, and I go back to like the R Kelly thing. Right. And like when that whole thing broke and it became like all of these conversations and dialogues, I need people to know that there are R Kelly's called James. There are R Kelly's called Mike. There's R Kelly's called Leroy, whatever that person's name is, but they are within our own community. Right. They are in our own families. And let me I don't pick the wrong damn name. Let me go back and clear up that. I ain't saying none of them people names that know me. I ain't saying they abuse. <laughs> I, I just, they was just names that popped up in my head. So right, I'm right. sorry that I done said them people names, but they not abusers. Let me say that. Let me clear them up before the rumors gets going. But um, in our community, our community particularly, right? We are quick to sweep things under the rug. Mm-hmm. We are quick to turn a blind eye to it. We are quick to shut things down and not talk about it. Mm-hmm. And that leads to more people being hurt. Right. Um, and I feel like, and even in you know, white communities, it happens all over. Mm-hmm. What I think people need to be responsible for is holding those people accountable, right. not necessarily by the legal system, because everybody does, every victim's not going to talk to the police. Right. And, and that's not because they haven't been raped. That's because they feel like no one will believe them. 
and they have to go through their whole life as a person for somebody to believe that they were sexually assaulted that one time. Mm. So people choose to not do that. But in our families, in our houses, in our environments, we know people who like children. And we just tell your kids, don't go in there. Uh, where them kids at? Uh-uh, uh-uh, get them out of there. Ain't so-and-so in there. But why was so-and-so invited? Right, in the first place. We shouldn't have to prep our kids and tell our kids, uh-uh, you don't kiss no man on their lips. Oh, no, you can't sit on no man's lap. Why can't a child sit on grandpa's lap without it being sexualized? Unless granddaddy like children and y'all know that. Mm. Because granddaddy needs to be held accountable within the family and you're not invited to anything. Period. Because then that will stop the occurrences of people suffering silently because they're being sexually assaulted silently. That's all I wanted to add to that. So uh, no, that that was that was good to add. Um, and I, I believe it invoked further thought on, you know, what what's been going on and the what needs to stop. Yeah. Um, which is why I'm happy we were able to have this conversation, and I just pray that somebody. Even if they didn't make it through the whole thing, yeah, heard something, got what they needed to get, and are now going to begin the process, yeah, um, and the healing, and be able to someday, you know, if it if it comes to it, maybe share their story on yeah. you know what they went through, and if it doesn't come to it, maybe just be able to Heal. listen to people. Oh, right, exactly, yeah. because that's the most important part. Give yourself permission to heal, heal, brother, because we know, and I'm glad you said that, men are raped. Mm -hmm. I have worked with male victims of sexual assault. It happens. They don't talk more than women talk because of the stigma Mm -hmm. and the shame that they have placed on men saying that they are victimized. Right. And that's so unfair. So for that man, for that woman, for that trans person, for that person, whoever you are, you have a right to approve contact with your body. And if you do not give that permission, I don't care if you started the act and you say stop. You have that right. There is an emergency stop button everywhere. Mm -hmm. At the airport, on the airplane, in the mall, on the escalator. That emergency stop button stops on the dime when you push it. And that same button applies to your sexual life and your sexual health if you push that button and you say stop no i'm glad a lot of states took out that resistant part that that part of actually pushing away because that was part of a law that you had to say stop and push the person away for it to classify as a rape so i'm glad a lot of states took that out of their law they all need to take it out right because you don't have that's not where your mind is a lot of times you're in survival mode Mm -hmm. So you have a right to say you don't want that to happen, but you also have a right to not want to talk to the police about it. Mm -hmm. But I do wish and hope that you talk to somebody, find that trusted person, a therapist, doctor, girlfriend, boyfriend, coworker. I also employ the people that I support, Terry, like you were saying, the support people. Be non-judgmental at the top of the conversation because that's going to let your person know whether you are a a trusted person or you are an associate mm-hmm. and you yes. hear them out not because they don't want you to they don't want you to say oh oh man i'm so sorry that happened to you so are we mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Sometimes I just I just need you to listen. Just listen. And say nothing. And I think a part of that is the active listening piece. And it's a piece that I've actually started to do more. When someone calls me and they want to talk, I, I say, do you want me to just listen? Or are you listening for me to have some kind of feedback? Mm. And I allow that person to guide that conversation. Oh, now I just need you to listen. Right. Guess what? My phone going on mute. Mm-hmm. because even if my brain don't stop me from responding, I don't want them to hear that because I still want them to know that I'm actively listening to support them through. Right. And sometimes it takes just that. Mm-hmm. I've had people call and talk to me and at the end, they're like, Whew. all right, well, let me go. I got to get back to work. And guess what? They felt better because mm-hmm. they got that off of them. And sometimes it's just that. Exactly. So shout out exactly. to the people that got supports. Shout out to the people that want to be sh- supports. And shout out to us that don't know we need supports until we know we need it. So mm. <laughs> being yes. able to vocalize that you need it and say what you need. Which is important and within itself. So, yes. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I uh, thank you all for tuning in and listening. T, I thank you for taking time to share your story. Uh, I, I know it's going to be healing for someone who listens and I'm grateful for it. Uh, for those of you who want to get in contact with T, maybe you want to join her love advocacy program, or maybe, you know, you just want to reach out and say, Hey, how can I get some help? I'm going to put all of her information into the description of this episode so that you can reach out to her. And if you, you know, need something further, you can always email me TG Harris at beyond the coffee because together we're going to get through this. We're going to get you the resources you need because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, we need you to heal. And healing is important. So T again, I appreciate you, sis. I appreciate Um, you brother for this platform. And, and, you know, I, I know whatever it is you're going to do next is going to be incredible because, you know, that's just who you are. So God got me. Absolutely. All right. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. Likewise.